Well, fake news. Uh, how many of you have heard that term in recent years and months? Uh, I don't think I've actually heard the term fake news prior to the last few years, but in these past few years, people, myself included, have become increasingly aware of how common fake news is and the problems it can create. Uh, if you don't happen to know that term, fake news is simply news that is either completely untrue or contains a lot of false information or half-truths, uh, often intentionally so. And with the rise of social media, it has become an increasing problem as people are increasingly reliant on social media for their news and social media makes the spread of fake news even easier. There can be a number of different motivations for those who create fake news. Perhaps they want to mislead others and shape public opinion. Maybe they just want to profit. They want to generate money and clicks on their story, so they write outlandish things. Uh, but regardless of the reason, fake news is intended to serve the interests of those who write it. Uh, well, with this widespread distribution of fake news and the problems that it does create, uh, you can find any number of articles and studies about it online and things that you can try to do to detect fake news, how to protect yourself against fake news. And uh, one thing that is often mentioned if you were to read these articles is that you should check the source of the information that you're consuming. It's not as if reputable news organizations have never produced anything false or never produced anything with half-truths. But if something is published by a reputable source, maybe the BBC, maybe the New York Times, uh, the chances of it being a legitimate article are much greater. Uh, there's other sources that are notorious for printing false information. Maybe that's even their business is to present, present false information. Uh, so checking the sources would be a safeguard against getting deceived. Now uh, well, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3. It'll be in, in James 3, 13 through chapter 4, verse 12 this afternoon. And in our sermon text for today, James is, is, as you probably are aware, not focused on the problem of fake news or the distinction between real news and fake news. But instead, he is concerned about the distinction between true wisdom on one hand, true wisdom, and fake wisdom. The distinction between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And like with the news you can see, consume, James shows that the source of your wisdom matters. It matters where your wisdom comes from. Is the source God, or is the source of your wisdom something else? And much like those articles that give tips on how to detect fake news, James lists the characteristics or the, the marks of godly wisdom and the marks of fake earthly wisdom. Uh, and he does that so you, Christian, might be able to see and understand true wisdom, and that not you might pursue godly wisdom. Uh, so please follow along as I read, starting in James 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. 
You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Clench your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, your double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, James opens our our text that we're studying this afternoon with a question. Who among you is wise and understanding? And if anyone among his readers was brave enough to raise their hand in response to that question, yes, I am wise and understanding, James says, let's find out. Because as he writes in chapter 3, verse 15, and in chapter 3, verse 17, there is a wisdom that is from above and a wisdom that is earthly and spiritual and demonic. There is a wisdom that is godly and there is a wisdom that is worldly. And though James calls them both wisdom, his point is clear. There is a fake wisdom. There's a fake wisdom, the wisdom that is earthly and unspiritual, and there is a true wisdom. And so his question for you this afternoon is, which wisdom do you possess? Do you possess true wisdom, or do you possess fake wisdom? And so to examine that question, I have three points for you to consider from today's text. Uh, Those points are, first, two marks of wisdom, then two sources of wisdom, and then two paths to wisdom. Two marks of wisdom, two sources of wisdom, and two paths to wisdom. So the main idea of the text is that true wisdom is marked by peace. True wisdom comes from God, and true wisdom is attained through humility. True wisdom is marked by peace, true wisdom comes from God, and true wisdom is attained through humility. Uh, So first let's look at two marks of wisdom. Uh, So as I just said, according to James, there is a true wisdom and there is a fake wisdom, and he helpfully gives some characteristics of both so that you might be able to know the difference. Uh, But before we examine those characteristics, I want you to see James' fundamental message. And his fundamental message is that true wisdom and fake wisdom are made known by works. Look again at, at verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Uh, So if you've been with us through this this study through James that we've done, you know that that James has exhorted you to be doers of the word. Uh, He has argued that faith without works is dead, and now he claims that wisdom is shown by works. Uh, For true wisdom, those works are done in gentleness. They are works of mercy, works that produce peace. Well, for, for fake wisdom, there are works that produce disorder and every evil practice. For James, wisdom, then, is not just a knowledge that you have or a knowledge that you claim to have, but it's a knowledge that you apply. 
It's a lifestyle that you live. Uh, so as, as we've said a number of times through this journey through James, it's not mere knowledge of God's word that counts. Uh, though that is very important, it is a good thing to know God's word, but it is not just knowledge that counts. It is obedience to God's word. That is the sign of a transformed life. Uh, and the virtues of the Christian life, whether that be wisdom or love, charity, any number of other things, well, they're made of faith and works. They are virtues that can be seen, not just described. And so that, that brings us to these, these marks of true wisdom, of, of godly wisdom, of faith wisdom. So what are the marks of true wisdom? Well, I think James says more than anything else, the marks of godly wisdom, of true wisdom, is peace. Look again at, at verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. True wisdom is peace-loving. True wisdom cultivates peace. And so, brothers and sisters, the implication and the application for you this afternoon is clear. You possess true wisdom. You will be a peacemaker. And James just describes some of what it looks like to, to be a peacemaker in verse 17. He says it means that uh, those who are peacemakers are those who are pure. Uh, you pursue holiness, and your, your greatest desire is to please the Lord. You've been bought with a price, and, and, the, and if so, the Lord is at work in you, sanctifying you. And uh, when we turn our attention to chapter 4 in a, in a few minutes, we'll see that the root of conflict is the pursuit of our own desires and our own passions and not pleasing the Lord. When we seek to please the Lord, though, we will place His will above our own, His commands above your own. So when you're criticized or overlooked or mistreated, you don't need to respond out of envy or bitterness, but you can respond in love and you can forgive because you are blessed in Christ and He is at work purifying you. Peacemakers are those who are pure. Pursuing purity also means that you confess your sins to the Lord, that you ask others to forgive you. When you've wronged someone, you go to them and seek to make peace. You confess your sins to others. You ask for their forgiveness. You seek to make it right. And this requires great humility. If you've ever apologized to someone, you know that requires great humility. But remember, true wisdom, and as we'll see in a moment, true wisdom is attained through humility. So to be a peacemaker means you are pure. And to be a peacemaker means you are gentle and compliant. You're willing to give way to others and, and not get your own way. You're willing to hear the other side and, and treat others kindly. And you're willing to listen. And you're willing to be gentle with those when they disagree with you. You speak, to, you speak gently with others and not harshly. You don't insist on your own way. The peacemaker means you're gentle and compliant. As James writes, it also means that you are full of mercy and good fruits. You seek to do good to others if you're a peacemaker. God has shown you mercy in Christ if you are a Christian, and so you show mercy. It means you're willing to overlook the sins of others, to not hold them against them, to aid others in distress, and to listen and understand the situation of others, which is often so different from your own. And then the final two traits that James gives is that peacemakers are unwavering and without pretense which is really just a picture of faithfulness and consistency. As, as one scholar puts it, the person characterized by wisdom from heaven 
will be stable, trustworthy, transparent, the kind of person consistently displaying the virtues of wisdom and on whom one can rely for advice and counsel. Well, if you, you are a peacemaker, if you do have the wisdom that is from above, and notice that the fruit that is listed in verse 18 is it's the fruit of righteousness is sown by those who are peacemakers. And this is true both personally for those who do have the wisdom from above. Remember the words of the Lord from uh, Matthew 5, from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. But it's also true for others, because peacemakers, instead of creating conflict with others, they produce peace. They encourage others to produce righteousness. If you've ever wronged someone and had them forgive you and did not responded, perhaps as you felt like you deserved and you expected to be treated because of what you had done, you know this to be true. It encourages you to be kind in response when someone overlooks your own sin. It's what it looks like to be a peacemaker. It encourages if you are a peacemaker, you encourage others to pursue righteousness as well. And so there's many marks to those who pursue godly wisdom and who have the wisdom from above. But fundamentally, it is to be a peacemaker. On the other hand, the marks of fake wisdom or, or worldly wisdom, James writes, are disorder in every evil practice, brought on by envy and brought on by your own selfish ambition. If any of you have ever played uh, team sports, you may have been on a team before that has a ball hog. If you don't know that term, a ball hog is a selfish player who will never pass the ball. They hog it or keep it for themselves. They don't involve their teammates. Uh, they always want to shoot. Ball hogs always want to score. They generally think they're better than everyone else on their team, so they don't want to pass and have another teammate make a mistake, cause, a, cause them to lose the game. They also want all the glory for themselves. They don't want other people scoring or, or, or making good plays because they don't want them to get any of the credit they feel like they deserve and the credit that they want for themselves. If you have ever played on a team with a ball hog, you know that it is no fun. Uh, you don't really feel like you're even involved in the game. You just kind of run back and down the field or run up and down the court. You rarely touch the ball. Uh, no one likes to play with the ball hog. And if you've been on a team with a ball hog for any length of time, you know that their selfishness quickly produces conflict on the team. Uh, the other teammates, they get mad, they get frustrated, they see exactly what's going on, and team dynamics quickly break down. Well, that's a, a small picture, small picture of what fake wisdom looks like. In, in contrast to being a peacemaker and putting the good of others first, like passing the ball, it is to put your own desires and needs ahead of everyone else and act out of your own envy and act out of your own selfish ambition. It's to insist on your own way and to be irritable and rude when you don't get your own way. It's to hold other grudges against others when they wrong you instead of forgiving them. Uh, it's to gossip to make yourself look better than others, to keep score in life to make sure that you get your fair share and to seek your own glory. And as, as we know, because we are those who are living in a fallen world, those kind of attitudes don't produce peace, but they produce conflict. They produce disorder in every evil practice. You know, the, the funny thing about ball hogs is sometimes they're right. Sometimes they are the best player on their team. But because they are out to prove that fact, 
and they are acting out of selfishness. They ignore the fact that being a peacemaker and loving and serving others is far more important than winning or receiving glory for themselves. They forget the need to put the interests of others ahead of their own. And brothers and sisters, uh, that should be a lesson to you that even if you are right about something, true wisdom is not shown by proving how right you are. True wisdom is shown by cultivating peace. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. There are times that the Bible calls us to rebuke others, to stand firm on certain truths of the Scripture. But even these things can be done in gentleness. True wisdom, as we have seen, tames the tongue. True wisdom cultivates peace. And those who have true wisdom are those who are marked by peace. They have relationships that are marked by peace. They have peaceful marriages and they have peaceful friendships. They have peaceful relationships with their mothers and their fathers and their in-laws. They have peaceful relationships with bosses. And they have peaceful relationships with co-workers. Now, again, because we are on this journey in a fallen world, we know that there can be times when others don't respond peacefully, even when we act gently and with mercy. But generally, as James writes in verse 18, generally the fruit of righteousness and peace is sown by those who cultivate peace. So if you have relationships in your life that are not marked by peace, I encourage you to examine your own heart first. Examine your own heart first to see where you may be in the wrong before you blame others. And then seek the counsel of another Christian in your life. Help them to uh, ask them to help you uh, act wisely and gently. How to best pursue peace with those in your life whom you are not living at peace with. And that's because true wisdom is marked by peace. That's the first point. So the two marks of wisdom, the marks of godly wisdom and faith wisdom. And now two sources of wisdom. Uh, so much like looking at the, the source of faith and real news can help you distinguish between the two, uh, James points to the source of real and faith wisdom to help you better understand the difference between the two. Uh, so look again at, at James chapter 4. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Uh, so much like James opened our text with a question, he asks, what is the second central question of the text in these verses? And that is, what is the source of wars and fights among you? So if the, the marks of, of earthly wisdom are disorder, if it's every evil practice, if it's conflict, James is asking, well, what lies at its source? In your struggle to become a peacemaker, what is it that you are waging war against? What are you fighting against? What is the source of all this conflict? Now, he's already answered that question a bit. He said that earthly wisdom or, or faith wisdom is demonic. But he also said that conflict and evil practices that mark fake wisdom spring from envy and selfish ambition. The bitter envy and selfish ambition of your heart. In other words, 
though fake wisdom is demonic, you can't just say the devil made me do it. You are responsible. Remember last week when we were talking about the tongue? And we looked at those words of Jesus where he said, it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. Uh, your words are a symptom of a bigger problem. Your words are the symptom of your heart. Well, in this text, James just is expanding on that idea and says that the fights and quarrels you have, which are often, so often, made up of the words that you say to one another, well, they're a symptom of a bigger problem as well. And he again says that that problem is your heart. He goes straight to the problem of your heart. Uh, notice what he says causes fights and quarrels. It is your own desires, it is your own passions that causes the fights and quarrels among you. Uh, it is the things that you want and you do not get that cause fights and quarrels. It's the source of your conflict and the source of fake wisdom is your sinful heart. One of the most famous advertising campaigns in American history is the ad campaign from the 1980s and 1990s for Klondike ice cream bars. So Klondike ice cream bars were just square ice cream bars covered in chocolate. Uh, And the Klondike commercials would ask a simple question. What would you do for a Klondike bar? go around and just ask people, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And uh, in these commercials, people would give all sorts of funny answers. Maybe they'd be willing to stand up in front of a group of people and act like a monkey to get a Klondike bar. Maybe they'd be willing to run barefoot for a mile in the snow to get a Klondike bar, or or something else ridiculous to get a Klondike bar. Uh, The idea, obviously, and what the advertisers were trying to get across is that what you were willing to do to get a Klondike bar showed how valuable these Klondike bars were. They showed how much you value a Klondike bar. Well, in a a similar way, James is just saying your willingness to fight and quarrel for the things that you desire show you how much you value those things. If you're willing to fight and quarrel about the desires and passions of your heart, it shows how much you value those things. Your sin and your fights, your arguments, answer the question of what would I be willing to do to get fill in the blank. It's probably not a Klondike bar. I don't think those things even exist anymore. They may. But what are you willing to fight and quarrel over? When you fight and quarrel, when you speak with harsh words, when you fail to tame the tongue, when you show favoritism, you show that there is something that you are desiring more than you desire God. You show that there's something in your life that you are idolizing, and you are willing to sin to get it. Now, we can easily recognize this type of behavior and what's going on in a child. A little Susie is willing to throw a public temper tantrum or throw a fit to get what she wants. Little John is willing to hit another child to get the toy that he wants. Little Mary is willing to scream to get her way. A child has simply made an idol out of his or her desires. Well, friends, what about you? What is it that you that routinely leads you to fight and quarrel? What is it that leads you to speak in ungodly ways to others? What are you willing to sin to get? If it's money, perhaps you're willing to lie or cheat to get what you want. If it's respect, perhaps you're willing to yell at those who don't give you the respect that you think you deserve, or perhaps you just simply ignore them or don't give them the time of day because they don't give you what you want. If you covet the comfort and security that other has, others have, or maybe their social positions, perhaps you're willing to constantly complain about those people, to slander them behind their back, or, or maybe simply just complain about your own life circumstances. 
Someone has something you desire, whether that's a job, a money, a car, a spouse, or perhaps in envy you will mistreat that person or, or be short with them or seek to sabotage them so they don't have those things that you want so bad either. If your desire is to be proven right, perhaps you'll be willing to belittle others to prove you are correct. You'll be willing to make others look stupid so that you look wise in contrast. If your desire is just simply a moment of quiet, and maybe you'll be willing to yell at your kids or, or lash out at them in anger when their own quarreling interrupts your peace. When your desire is revenge, perhaps you'll be willing to give someone the cold shoulder to demonstrate just how much they have hurt you. And so you want to show them that you can hurt them just as badly in response. If your desire is for power, perhaps you are willing to use other people to get yourself ahead. You don't pursue true love or true relationships. You just want to use others to get that which you want. And if it's, in, if it's control that you want, perhaps you are willing to get angry. Or perhaps you just get anxious when you do not have control over the life or the circumstance that you so desire. My friends, the point is those things that you are willing to fight over and those things that you are willing to sin are those things that you are idolizing. Those are the things that you are valuing more than God himself. And that is simply what idolatry is. It is to value something more than you value God. Now, you may not even be desiring anything wrong. Maybe your desire is for a spouse. Maybe your desire is for the love of the spouse that you already have. Maybe it's for the safety of your children or a new job. It can be any number of things. They may not be wrong things, but when you are willing to sin to get them, when you are willing to fight and quarrel because you do not have them, or when you're willing to complain because you do not have them, uh, you have elevated those desires above your love for the Lord. You've elevated those desires above God. This is why James calls his readers an adulterous people in verse 4. Why? It's because when we do these things, we are pursuing friendship with the world instead of friendship with God. We are pursuing the things of the world instead of the things of God. We are setting our affections on our own desires rather than setting our affections on the Lord. And brothers and sisters, the church is the bride of Christ. But when we pursue the desires of our sinful hearts instead of pursuing the Lord, it is as if we are pursuing another lover. And friends, God is a jealous God. He will not give his glory to another. As one scholar puts it, the jealousy of the Lord demands total, unreserved, unwavering allegiance from the people with whom he has joined himself. Or as James writes in verse 5, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. That's another way of saying that, friends, you cannot simultaneously be a friend of God and a friend of the world. And the problem of your, your spiritual adultery is so bad that James says when you pursue your own passions and when you pursue your own desires, when you put these things above the Lord, you are willing to even use God himself. And in James 1.17, as we looked at several weeks ago, James calls God the giver of every good and perfect gift. God delights to give wisdom to those who ask. Uh, but as James says in verse 3 here in, in chapter 4, you so often don't receive what you ask in prayer because you're simply asking God to fulfill the sinful desires of your flesh. You don't want godly wisdom. You don't want to honor the Lord. You don't want God himself. You are simply looking to God to satisfy the desires of your heart. You simply want those idols on which your heart has set its affection. 
God doesn't answer those prayers, brothers and sisters, because if God granted them, they would destroy you. He's only the giver of good gifts. He does not want to feed the idols of your heart. So, brothers and sisters, this is a, a great opportunity to simply ask you to examine the content of your prayer life. Is your prayer life simply made up of requests for God to fulfill your own desires and to serve you? Maybe by giving you a new job, by giving you a spouse, by blessing you and prospering you. Well, again, it's, it's not necessarily wrong to pray for those things. It's not necessarily wrong to desire some of those things. It is okay to pray and ask the Lord for some of those things. But God is, is not a, a vending machine who sits up in heaven just waiting to dispense, give you exactly what you want. If that's all you pray for, you may be revealing the idols of your heart. Uh, if instead I encourage you to, to also praise the Lord in your prayers, praise the Lord for his character, or to praise the Lord for what he has done, but also for who he is. Uh, confess your sins to the Lord in prayer. Confess those things that you are tempted to idolize. When you ask the Lord for things, ask him to help you not to value them more than you value him. And pray that God's will would be accomplished and you would be content in him regardless of whether or not he answers some of these prayers. Um, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you've noticed, but this is one of the reasons that we have different prayers in our service here at Emmanuel. We have a prayer of adoration where we seek to praise the Lord for who he is and what he has done. We have a prayer of confession when we come before him and acknowledge that we are in sinners in need of a Savior, uh, that we are debtors to God's mercy and grace, that we are here to respond to him in faith and worship. And we also have a prayer of petition where we come and we ask the Lord to work. Uh, we ask him to do things, to answer our prayers, but we also want to be those who pray along with the Lord's prayer. It's, uh, we pray that thy will, your will, Lord, be done and not our own. Uh, that you will work on earth as you work in heaven. Well, the source of, of faith and worldly wisdom is your own sinful heart. And James lays this out clearly in these first six verses of James chapter 4. In contrast, the source of true wisdom is God himself. And James said back in, in chapter 3, verse 17, that true wisdom comes from above. In verses 2 and 3 here in chapter 4, you see that God seems to have a willingness, despite everything I just said, that God seems to have a willingness to provide what we ask for in prayer, assuming that we ask in faith, relying on his character and with a heart that desires to please him. Uh, he will provide what we need. Uh, this is what James said back in James 1.5. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. And it will be given to him. God will grant real wisdom. He'll grant wisdom to those who ask. Those who ask with a heart that desire to please the Lord. Those who have a heart that recognize that they have sinful desires, sinful passions. That they won't always ask with pure motives, but whose desire is to please the Lord. And though God demands your complete allegiance uh, and will not give his glory to another, James writes that God doesn't just give you wisdom, but that he gives greater grace. God is the giver of saving grace, which has rescued you from your sin, from your bondage to sin, but he also gives sustaining grace each and every day to those who are in Christ Jesus. The grace to trust him even when you don't receive some of the things that you desire. The grace to be content, no matter your circumstances. The grace to joyfully endure trials. He gives the grace to be a doer of his word and not just a fear. He gives the grace to not show favoritism. The grace to tame your tongue. 
Uh, he gives the grace to be gentle and to be a peacemaker, the grace to resist sin, and the grace to be a friend of God rather than a friend of the world. God gives greater grace. And so, brothers and sisters, true wisdom comes from God. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So pray for his grace and pray for his wisdom. Well, so that is two marks of wisdom, the marks of, of earthly and fake wisdom and the marks of godly and true wisdom, and two sources of wisdom, the, the source of our sinful hearts, which is the source of fake wisdom, and God, who is the source of true wisdom. Uh, but now we want to look at two paths to wisdom. Two paths to wisdom. Uh, so, if you remember that main idea from the beginning of the sermon, true wisdom is marked by peace. True wisdom comes from God. And true wisdom is attained through humility. So, uh, look with me again at James 4, starting in verse 6. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Clench your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbors? Well, friends, it is easy to obtain faith wisdom. It is easy to obtain the faith wisdom that James speaks of in this passage. All it requires is that you pursue friendship with the world instead of friendship with God. All it requires is you give in fully to the passions and desires of your heart that are opposed to the Lord, your sinful desires. Uh, all it is is to stop resisting sin to harden your heart and sear your conscience by knowingly and repeatedly engaging in sin and failing to confess that sin to the Lord. It's pridefully assuming that you don't need a Savior or you are in no need of correction. That, to act out of envy and selfish ambition and to put your own interests ahead of the interests of others. Uh, brothers and sisters, it is easy. It is easy to be divisive. It is easy to speak harsh words. It is easy to not tame the tongue. Pursue fake wisdom and to obtain fake wisdom is easy. But it is also the path to destruction. It is demonic wisdom. But on the other hand, to pursue godly wisdom requires that you humble yourself. Notice in verse 6 that it's God that resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you want God's wisdom and you want God's grace, pursue humility. Pursue humility. And thankfully, in, in God's wisdom, and uh, James provides instructions on how to do this. And if you just were to read through verses 6 through 12 of chapter 4 here, you would notice all the action words. Uh, submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, mourn and weep, humble yourselves. James is giving you what you are to do to pursue humility. And if we were to summarize these things in a few things, if you want to be pursuing godly wisdom, if you wanted to summarize these instructions, we could summarize them by saying that James is one saying, submit to God. Submit to God. That's one of the action words he actually uses, but it's to accept, accept God as the King and Lord of your life. To submit to his commands, recognize that 
He has infinite wisdom and He knows what is best for your life. Not you. As you trust God as your King and Lord and as you submit to His commands, you naturally resist the devil. You naturally resist being a friend of the world. You fight against sin because you're desiring to honor your King. You believe that God has provided a way of escape from temptation. And you believe that God has given you His Spirit and the power to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. So you pursue holiness. And you seek to be pure. You seek to be a peacemaker. And you seek to honor God. So one is we submit to God, but a, a second way that we pursue humility, we pursue godly wisdom, is to confess your sins to the Lord. And brothers and sisters, this is what it looks like to draw near to God, which is that command that James gives, to draw near to God. In Psalm 24, King David writes, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? In other words, David is asking the questions, Who may draw near to the Lord? Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Who may draw near? And David's answer, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. A language very reminiscent of what James is writing here. Uh, so you can draw near by confessing your sins to the Lord. Both your actions, those sins that you've committed with your hands, and the sins of your hearts, your, your thoughts. You can draw near to God by weeping and mourning over your sin instead of treating it lightly or, or laughing it off or pretending like it isn't a big deal or the Lord does not care. And when you do, when you mourn over your sin and confess your sin, you have the wonderful promise that God will draw near to you. My friends, your, your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven at the moment of salvation. But nevertheless, even after you know the Lord, sin damages your fellowship with God. But when you humble yourself before God by confessing your sin, God promises to draw near to you. You have the promise of His presence, and there is no higher gift. That's the gift of eternal life, and it's a gift that you enjoy in part here on this earth. Uh, so if you want to, to draw near to God, confess your sins to the Lord. If you want to pursue earth, or not earthly wisdom, if you want to pursue godly wisdom, it is to submit to God, it's to confess your sins to the Lord, and it's to humble yourselves before the Lord. And to humble yourselves is simply to admit your daily need of His presence and your daily need of His grace. It's to renounce any pride that says you are good in and of yourself or you don't need God's sustaining grace to fight your sin. Uh, it's to avoid sitting in self-righteous judgment over other brothers and sisters in Christ and, and judging them and judging their hearts and quarreling with them and fighting with them. I uh, know that's simply to fight and quarrel. Uh, so don't judge your neighbor. But instead, humble yourselves under the one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy and recognize your need for his saving grace and his sustaining grace. And brothers and sisters, if you want to humble yourselves, look to the example of your Savior. As this vision read from Philippians 2, earlier in this service, uh, Jesus Christ, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, Jesus, when he was here on earth, submitted to the will of his Father. He did not act out of envy. He did not act out of selfish ambition. Instead, because of his love for you and his love for his Father, he humbled himself. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so if you want to humble yourself, 
If you want to draw near to God, if you want to pursue godly wisdom, remind yourself that God has drawn near to you in Christ. Jesus humbled himself and took on human flesh, leaving you an example that you might follow. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower you to walk in his ways. And friends, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, if you have never repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you haven't known the power and peace of his presence, now, these things that I just mentioned are the path to knowing Him as well. It starts by humbling yourself before the Lord and by admitting that you need Him, that you need a Savior. And friends, you must also confess your sins to the Lord and admit that in your pride you have rebelled against the Lord, that you have been ruled by your passions and your desires, that you have pursued friendship with the world and not friendship with God, that that has been what has marked your life and characterized your life. You must, ask for, you must ask him to forgive your sins and to cleanse you by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and drew near, that you might know him and that you might have eternal life. And so, friends, if you don't know the Lord, I, I ask you to humble yourself today and place your faith in him. Submit to his sovereign rule and authority and ask him to give you the grace to follow him. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But only those who have done that in this life will get to spend eternity in his presence. And Christians, be reminded that true wisdom is marked by peace. True wisdom comes from God, and true wisdom is attained through humility. If you pursue true wisdom by submitting to God, confessing your sin, and humbling yourself, God will draw near, and God will exalt you. God has highly exalted Jesus, and he has given him the name that is above every name. Uh, he will one day highly exalt you as well when you enter the presence of your Savior. And that is the promise of James 4.10. Because Christ is glorified, those that know him will one day be glorified with him as well. So keep that eternal perspective in mind as you endure the trials and temptations of this life. Ask God to give you his grace and the wisdom that comes from above, that you might live for his glory, and that you might have godly wisdom that you might be a peacemaker, that you might put to death the sinful passions and desires, that you might humble yourselves and draw near to the Lord, that he might draw near to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we, Lord, we give you